Hello and welcome to SIS Masters Podcast. Today I have the pleasure to welcome Nicolas Manissier, one of the key people at the French sport media group L'Equipe Group. Nicolas Manissier is the director of acquisitions and global head of the very famous and glamorous Ballon d'Or that has reached 2.9 billion people in 2022. In this episode, Nicolas shares great insights on L'Equipe's transformation from an historical print sport media to what it is today, a very successful multi-channel media with print, more than 1 million average daily readers, digital, and in the last few years, free-to-air TV. We will speak about its media rights strategies and the secret sauce behind the Ballon d'Or global success. Nicolas, how are you today in Paris? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you, Arnold. How are you? I'm great in Mexico. Very happy to speak in, in English with you today. <laughs> <laughs> That's good fun. <laughs> Thanks for being with us today for SIS Masters podcast. We've known each other for some years now, uh, quite some years, and I believe I've never met, or you're one of the very few people I know with such a sport culture. How come? To me, you're like the Wikipedia of sports. You, everything <laughs> I ask you, you know it, and not only football, but any sport. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm a sports passionate, and that's why I work in sport. I mean, there's a good connection between between my job and and my passion. So I have been uh, watching sport and reading sport papers and and then literature uh, since I was uh, probably eight or nine. I have memories that date back from uh, a very long time ago. I'm 45 now, so I mean, it it, it started back in the 80s, and it's always been um, I mean some some kind of a of a of a dream and a fantasy to be on the pitch. I could never be good enough in any discipline to to make a career. So now I have the chance to work in the sport uh, industry, which is at least I mean the 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 least I could do. So <laughs> I live in Guadalajara, Mexico. What does it mean to you? Well, uh, it's it's uh, probably one of the three four most memorable football games in in the history of the World Cup. Of course, France Brazil eighty six. Yeah, very nice one. We'll see the next World Cup in 2026. Uh, so yeah. there will be some games in Guadalajara. Maybe France, who knows? Um, going back to what you do now, I mean, you're one of the key guys at L'Equipe Group. Uh, for the people who don't know yet, uh, L'Equipe, because part of our audience is not French or French-speaking, uh, L'Equipe is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, and very influential sports media. So you've been at L'Equipe since 2015, uh, eight yeah. years ago. And so you're one of those cool people, as I said. You know lead the acquisitions, and you're the global head of the very famous and glamorous Ballon d'Or. <laughs> so I'm very happy to speak with you about the transformation of the sports content industry, because you've been, before L'Equipe and at L'Equipe, you've been through the evolution of this industry. Uh, and L'Equipe is quite a great example of you know, digital transformation and opening TV channel, get, getting multi-channel. So first, about L'Equipe, for people to understand what L'Equipe Group is, can you give us some key information, key figures? Because it's massive. It is It is pretty big. L'Equipe is, is the main sport brand in France. Uh, it was initially um, a, a daily print newspaper uh, that was founded in 1946, just after World War II. Actually, it was founded on the... Uh, ashes of a a former newspaper called Lotto uh, that was published uh, since 1903, uh, all the way up to the war. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is that Lotto was the founder of the Tour de France, actually. Okay. So uh, that was that was a newspaper uh, on on which basis L'Equipe was founded. Um, was there since the beginning of of the 20th century. So we have this tradition of being at the center of sports information and entertainment in France for 122 years, right? Um, so, I mean, all the sports major histories were related by L'Equipe. All the major sports figures uh, of our grandparents, of our parents, uh, of our great-grandparents, and, and for now and for our children, will be related in priority by L'Equipe for all public that are sports fans in France. Everyone that loves sports in France reads L'Equipe pretty much 
certainly in the same way that everyone who is into football in Spain would read Marca or As or El Mundo Deportivo, which means that in France we have only one brand. That's our chance. Sometimes it is uh, some some sort of a prejudice because we have a, a kind of monopoly. But on the other hand, the, the chance that we have at L'Equipe is that our connection to, to the athletes is very, very close because we are the only ones. But their dream when they're young is to be on the headline of L'Equipe. So there is there is uh, some sort of organic connection between the media and the sports field and, and the athletes, right? Um, of course, I mean, it's not only a print uh, newspaper now. I mean, it's it's developed into a magazine in the 80s, a uh, digital uh, platform uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, we now have, we operate a DTT, so a free-to-wear uh, TV channel, linear TV channel, uh, for um, more than 10 years now. So it's a, it's a, well, 360 sports media brand that is really focused on sport action and that really addresses the fans more than anything else. Hmm. I would dare to say that it's part of the heritage of the French, of, of, the, of France. I mean, <laughs> as a French, I couldn't imagine uh, not having the keep. It's just not possible. <laughs> it's, it's not possible. And, and that's our chance because obviously what relates in terms of figures and, and, and key information to this kind of, of connection with, with the fans um, is a, a massive distribution. Still, we know that print press is declining, but yeah. still L'Equipe is read every day by circa 1 million readers, which mm. is still a lot. Yeah, there is about 250,000 issues that are sold, and and we know that the distribution is is much more than just the issues that are sold. It's it's something like four readers per per um, per item, right? Um, then our digital is extremely strong. Uh, everyone has a mobile phone. Everyone uses the apps on an addictive way. Likip is is the strongest traditional media uh, in 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 well in digital in France. Uh, the traffic is just huge. It's more than 1 billion uh, page views per month. Think about it. 1 billion page views. Our population is 60 million people. So it means that, and, and not everyone consumes sport. So it means that everyone that is in connection with our brand is addictively in connection with it. So this is our chance is that, I mean, we're talking about a subject that is of passion, with passion, with passionate people, and that creates some sort of a community that is extremely uh, in connection with us every day, every day. That helps a lot in terms of business development, obviously. Yeah, I would be surprised if there are many countries that so sports digital newspaper, um, digital version, is bigger than the main traditional newspaper. So. On what I understood on figures, L'Equipe is in front of Le Figaro and Le Monde. Yeah, it uh, is. It is. So so I don't think there's many countries where you know, a sports newspaper has so much space. Well, our, our chance is that if we compare to the European territories, I don't know much about Latin America, for example, and the US is particular because it, there's very a, a lot of regional uh, print, print press titles. But if we compare to, um, to Spain or Italy uh, or Germany, there, there are several various sports media. In France, there's only one. So that, that's one thing. And in the UK, there is no sport media because in the UK, sport is such a serious thing that it is treated by the major print press um, um, titles, such as Times or, or Guardian or, or, or the other tabloid press. Um, and, and for us, I mean, our chance is that we are alone we have a, a monopoly but it's also based on the fact that we've always been extremely focused on the quality of what we do and i yeah. think it, it's helped over time so that goes to the quality of the brand uh because i mean like it could have been disappeared it's been very challenged by the transformation of the advertising industry transformation of the uh, content uh consumption in general but the brand is strong. Why, why do you think it's a brand so strong? So one part is history. You mentioned that. What well, else yeah. makes that it's so strong? Well, I mean, th 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 there's one thing that's very important is, is the, um, 
well, the, um, the, the, the shareholders of, of, of this brand um, have been a, a family. I mean, it's owned by a family um, and it's always been owned by the same family. So there is um, a, a strong continuity in, in the management of the brand, uh, which helps a lot when it comes to protect, protecting it. Uh, the values that, that lie behind um, are of, as you said, um, heritage, transmission, history, uh, values of excellence. These are pretty much the same values as what we have on the Ballon d'Or as well, actually. Um, and, and this leads to being here uh, as, as, as some sort of, of, of cornerstone of what sport is in our country, because l'équipe, um, and and it's one it's one of of the key of the key issues that we have to face at the moment is seen as um, you know uh, unrevolved because it never changes. <laughs> it is there. It it was there as I said before uh, for our grandparents, for our parents, and it will very probably be there for our children. So that that's one of the reasons of, of of how the the brand shines on 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 the sport um, industry in France. On the other hand, as I said, um, one risk with that is, is that you, you might uh, lack modernity at some point, or it could be presumed that you lack modernity. So we always have to in innovate um, and to make sure that we don't lose any, uh, you know, uh, any major innovation. Um, and the chance that we have with this uh, shareholding structure is that this family um, wants to, to defend the brand and they're okay to invest on the major changes that we've actually faced over the last 30 years. So we invested a lot in digital when it was important to do it. Um, so since like the, the, the year 2000 um, and over the last four or five years, we've invested a lot on sports rights to actually enhance the quality of our linear TV channel. Yeah. And this is my my role actually to invest that money. Um, so of course we need to make sure that the brand is sufficiently um, well, um, yeah, defended, and that we we that our job is at the level of the brand perception. So it's it's a daily job to do this. Part of the brand perception is also it's also due to the quality of the content. I mean. I read a lot of media from all over, all over the world, uh, and I know people look for different things. But uh, and countries are different, and consumption habits are very different. But so much media are just looking for digital engagement. That means clicks, 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 shares, and do not eventually focus on the quality of the content because it's easier to get clicks and views if you are popular. Uh, or saying controversial, controversial thing. But Lekip is very, uh, how can I say, stands by the quality of editorial content. Is that right? Of course. No, no, it's it's very important for us to uh, to actually uh, not fall into, uh, I mean, like all, all the uh, all the uh, techniques that you have on the internet to, uh, to um, increase, in my view, artificially the number of clicks and the traffic. Um, because when you have a brand like that, I mean, you, you could see the, uh, I mean, the, the newcomers as a jeopardy, uh, in particular from the social media, because you have some, some media that, that not even media, actually, we're talking about some blogs that can develop into very, uh, um, strong potential, um, um, competition. Well, in the end of the day, they should not be seen as competition uh, because one thing that is very important that stands out for us is what it means to do journalism, right? And and um, one of our highest values um, is um, that a journalist <laughs> needs to be uh, a journalist. That means that you never issue an information without making sure that I mean, you have all proof and all evidence on it. It takes time. Our our staff, our editing staff, is, is is still composed of more than 350 journalists, reporters. I'm talking about reporters, right? Um, 350. 350. 350. So it is potentially, I mean, in the world, one of the largest sports uh, editing staff. Mm -hmm. right? And of course, they don't only... Um, work on, on, on football, which is the most popular sport in France 
as in many other countries, but we have a lot of world specialists in motorsports and swimming, in athletics, in alpine skiing, in many, many disciplines where we try to really be at the age. Um, um, and for example, we organized this, um, this conference on the future of sport in Paris. That was the first edition called, it's called Demain de Sport, uh, back in September. And I had the chance to be the anchorman of one of the sessions. Um, our guest was Michael Phelps. Yeah, so I'm very flattered to interview you today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did interview Michael Phelps. Um, why did Michael Phelps accept it to come to this conference, to the first edition of this conference? Because he had a very good connection with not one, not two, with four of our, of our journalists. They had been following him everywhere in the world since Sydney 2000. Uh, well, so forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's an investment. That's a huge, huge investment. But when Michael Phelps talks to a media, and you know him because you did something with him in, in Mexico at some point, yes. it, it's very difficult to access this kind of, of, of sportsman, right? Uh, it's an example. But when Michael Phelps uh, spoke to a French media, I would say to a European media, you're certain that L'Equipe will be part of them. When Carl Lewis does, it's the same. When Max Verstappen does, it's the same. We can talk to everybody. That's a lot of investment. If you don't have... This many journalists, you don't have this network. If you don't ensure everyone you're talking to uh, of the quality of what you're going to be, you're going to be saying, they don't give you any credit. So this investment on the credibility of, of what we say, of what we print, of of, of everything that we edit and publish, uh, has its fantastic uh, counterbalance is the quality of, of the interviews that we can get and the quality of the of the information that we can get. So I mean. The, the ones that try and get, I mean, high click rates, um, telling, I mean, fake stories, never get access to to, to this kind of athletes. Yeah, one of the big moves of L'Equipe after being a print, uh, it's still print, uh, a magazine, uh, digital platform is no L'Equipe TV. Uh, L'Equipe TV, I mean, getting access to be. Free to wear was a game changer, I suppose, in Lekip Group's history. Uh, I mean, just people to know Eurosport is not free to wear, Canal Plus is not free to wear, Being is not free to wear. Uh, you, your job is you're the director of acquisitions. In your own words, what does it mean? Well, I mean, I'm I'm in charge of acquiring all all the live sports rights. Um, for a very particular channel, <laughs> it's. I think. I mean, there is no, in my understanding, other example in the world of a free-to-wear sports channel, free-to-wear accessible to all households. I mean, free-to-wear. It means really in France we have this this DTT, which is in many other countries. Um, all all households have access to twenty-five channels, right? Through. Um, well, digital terrestrial uh, transmission. Uh, one of this 25 channels is our channel, and it's called L'Equipe, and it's 100% focused on sport. Uh, this is something that is very um, particular. When you do this, um, you have to have a business model because it's a free-to-air channel that is based on advertising, right? So the advertising is directly uh, related to the ratings that you actually come up with. Uh, if you don't do high ratings, you don't get advertising. If you don't get advertising, you go bust because you, you can't finance your investments. Um, though a sports channel needs to broadcast sport. And as you know, <laughs> sports, let the sport landscape, um, well, is, is highly dominated by uh, pay channels who yeah. pay very high amount of money to actually be able to get the exclusive rights of the major sport events, such as the Champions League or the AFA, um, or the, the, I mean, the, the Premier League. Uh, in other countries, in the US, it's the NFL and the NBA, talking about the Olympics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My job is... With the MLS, not only pay TV channels, but also platforms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're talking about, we're talking about players whose model is based on subscription. Mm -hmm. 
our model is based on advertising and we're not a public channel. So we don't get public money to spend high amounts on the Olympics, on the World Cup, on the Euros, etc. So my job is to make sure that we can have a very appealing, uh, attractive, interesting set of sports rights in a budget that is very limited because we're a small channel. And I mean, we have to sort of do with what we have uh, and and with a rating that is good for a sports channel. We do 1.5% market share now, which is very good for 100% sports channel, but still it's, it's, it's teeny tiny, it's limited. Um, so, I mean, that, that's the balance. And, um, well, I do my job on, on, on the ground of two things that I can do. The first one is that I, I am initially <laughs> a financial analyst. So my first job was to do portfolio management, mm-hmm. um, in, in, well, in, in financial investment. And my second major quality skill that you mentioned earlier is that I know sport very well. Um, on that ground with my team, we try and detect the uh, properties that are available uh, and and try to see what could be the best portfolio of rights in our budget to populate our channel and to make it attractive, to make it um, yeah, appealing to, to our public. We're talking to the French public. So there are some disciplines which are extremely popular in other territories and they are not in France. And it's it's the other way around with uh, other disciplines. We have some criteria. I mean, they have to be sports um, that at, that are Olympic, for example. I mean, if, if we're talking about a discipline that is not in the Olympic Games, well, it's tough to to promote it because I mean, it, it doesn't come very high in the hierarchy of sport. Then if it's Olympic, it's not sufficient. It has to be a world championship or a European championship. Otherwise, how do you promote a French championship of archery, for example? I mean, it is it is tough. I mean, wh- when your your pay channels competitors have the Champions League, you, you can't have the French archery championship. It doesn't work. Uh, then you have to have events where the French do well. Because the one thing that everyone wants to see is your athletes winning or at least competing for for the victory. Based on on, on this criteria, we've been able over the last like six, seven years to build something that now is quite popular. We're very happy with it. And um, well, I can tell you about some some good things that we've acquired if you want. Uh, We also did a lot of failures, of course, because you, you never do everything well. But um, yeah, that was a very, very nice story that that we've, we've had last year. Build, building a right strategy and building a right credibility in the market yeah. uh, is not something easy because at, a few years ago, you had some big, big key players who spent way, uh, I mean, tons of money on getting right for the Champions League, for example, yeah. some of the, your competitors. Uh, on Champions League and others, they failed. Some don't. Some almost don't exist anymore. So the balance between where do I invest to get audience, but I can't over invest because if not, I put I risk at risk as a company. Uh, so go step by step, but still being attractive for the right holders. Uh, uh, this is a complex balance. It is. It is a complex balance. One. One of our key success factors is that we really keep really and i have to say that it's got nothing to do with me but coming um in any meeting from liquid group um everywhere in europe is is a a key success factor why because they all know about our brand and then i mean of course it opens the door then you have to you have to actually uh, be in a position to explain how you're going to be different when it comes to uh, exploiting the rights. Um, of course, my job is is very often um, focused on, on trying to pay less than the others um, because I don't have the same, the same investment capacities as the major free-to-air channels on one hand and as any pay operator on the other hand. But what I can offer, I could give one example, the NFL, for example. We have been... Uh, broadcasting the NFL in France for three years now. Honestly, we don't pay much money for that. But the one thing that we offer them is an exposure that no one could offer them in France. 
they have been uh, in a deal with Beansport since 2012, I would say. Beansport is a very good partner. They pay good money. I mean, I'm very good friend with them. But the one thing is that Beansport is a, a subscription channel. And um, of course, I mean, even if they promote the NFL very well, even if the uh, editorial quality is very high, you can't expect to reach more than potentially 5,000, maybe 10,000 viewers uh, on, on this channel for a particular match. That's mechanical. And and it's it's not something that I say against um, against a competitor. It's just a fact. So when you're the keep, you're free to our channel and you have the capacity to promote any right that you will be broadcasting. Not only on the mere channel that you operate, but also on the very powerful digital arm that we have, but also on a print press, accompanying the uh, actual broadcast of the games with articles, with social media posts, with highlight posts, with reports on, on the channel, and creating some momentum. We have been uh, broadcasting one match per match day in the regular season for, for three years. That has created a lot of coverage, a lot of reach, a lot of uh, awareness on the French market that never they never had before. I just came up for them <laughs> with um, well a study, a full recap on 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 the season on the twenty three season that ended um, a month and a half ago. Our reach this year was sixteen million viewers overall. Right? <laughs> 16 million French people watched the NFL on L'Equipe overall between September 2022 and the Super Bowl in February 23. Well, I mean, this is something that I can provide them with. And it's not money, but I think it's worth much more. You heard what I tell to every right holder <laughs> when I try to convince them to come with us. And, uh, and you know, I mean, this is a message that I think is is audible when when your asset is not the FIFA World Cup, the Champions League, the Premier League, the NBA, when we're not talking about properties that are so high that they would never want to get exposure for a limited amount of money. Yeah. But the the, the 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 huge majority of right holders they need to have visibility. They need to grant their sponsors, their community, with as wide uh, an exposure as possible. Otherwise, they will be replaced by other properties. This is as simple as that. And free access in your case. Free access. Yeah, exposure is related to free access. Yeah, yeah. of course. Okay, that's very clear because it's always on your side, that's how you convince. And on the property side, that's always... Do I want money or exposure? And sometimes the two don't go together. <laughs> uh, they, never go, they never go together. And <laughs> and the, the, the second point that I, I put forward is, is that we're L'Equipe, so they can be convinced that editorially it's going to be high quality. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be well treated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not superficial. And no. um, what, let's go into quick cases. One failure that surprised you and you've learned a lot from that. And then we well, do the opposite, something you eventually did not expect was is big success. All you expected, and it is a big success. Well, I mean, on, on the side of failures, I mean, we've we've tested many, many, many disciplines, and um, and of course, I mean, you you don't always succeed. I'd say that in in majority, the Olympic sports I was mentioning before. Um, when they're taken standalone, they don't work very well. I, I could I could take many disciplines, so it, it's tough to name just one. So I could say that if you broadcast the World Championship of table tennis or canoeing or sport climbing or archery or, or modern pentathlon or, or, or wrestling, etc., etc., that won't work. And although I love these Olympic sports, they, they don't work on a standalone basis. It's not free to our channel. And I, I would have thought that it would be a bit different because you know that during the Olympics, anything would work. Anything would be successful. But that's because of the uh, 
of of the uh, Olympic rings and uh, and that creates some sort of of, of magic. Um, but the Olympic sports on a standalone basis, they don't work. So what we decided to do because we still want to have them because it's part of, of of our DNA to cover this those disciplines is to have as many rights as possible on on this particular. Uh, I would say second tier sports without any type of, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not patronizing them, but no, um, judging. and mix them on judging them. Um, um, and we mix them into some sort of, um, you know, um, a, a multiplex of, of various rides. And, and we create in the winter something that we call La Station L'Equipe, the resort. Uh, and so we take the viewers to uh, a, a virtual ski resort and we switch from bobsleigh to freestyle skiing to ski jumping to cr- to to uh cross country skiing and when it mixed all together that works because yeah. it, we, we we transform it into some like small olympic games like right and we focus on the french performances in the summer we did the same and and although you you won't have a lot of success with uh, like three hours of badminton or table tennis, if you go from one sport to another on two or three hours, and you have like six seven disciplines, and you, and you watch the French that in in a badminton world world uh, whatever tournament uh, quarterfinal, and then you go to triathlon, and then you go to um, whatever uh, mountain biking, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, then it works. Again, we're talking about like an Olympic-like treatment, and it doesn't prevent you from um, providing the events at full length on your digital for the niche uh, specialists, for the ones who want to see the full story. Yeah, but when it comes to television, you have to produce it better. So this is is like the, the failures that we've tried to transform into success. So you build a concept. So in, instead of speaking about verticals and working by verticals, verticals being sports, you transversal and you build a concept. And then you have a digital platform for the core fans who want more, go deeper into the content. Exactly. So this is for like this, the, the sports for which we've detected that they can't, they can't work on a standalone basis. And then on the other hand, we have, well, had the chance to, to detect some golden nuggets the one that I would put forward and and of which I'm so proud of is biathlon. Mm. So uh, for many people, biathlon is absolutely unknown, although it's a it's a major winter Olympic sports um, that delivers many medals in each Olympic uh, edition in winter. Biathlon is a is a combination of of cross country skiing and shooting, uh, and it's a, a mainly Scandinavian and and well, central European sport, in which the French have been developing very quickly over the last like 10 to 15 years into um, potentially one of the best nations. Um, however, um, it was far from being uh, granted that this would be such a massive... <laughs> and uh, we have started to, to actually uh, broadcast... So the biathlon season, called the World Cup, uh, it's every weekend from the early December to the end of March. So every weekend you have races on Friday, Saturday and Sunday in various ski resorts over Europe. So first of all, it's very good because you travel from your sofa. You go on one week to Sweden, the week after in, in Germany, then Austria, uh, Norway, Finland, etc. You see beautiful landscapes. Uh, it's cold out there, but in your in your living room, it's not cold at all. You have the chimney, and um, and people love it because it is a very natural outdoor sport. It's very well produced. They put like more than fifty cameras uh, on 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 the tracks. You see people shooting. There's a lot of suspense. It's short. I mean, the the races last between. 35 and 40 minutes so you don't have time to uh, to be uh, to be annoyed and wary well and the french do well uh, it's a huge it's an enormous success we do more than 1 million viewers in average for every race which for live tv sport in a country like france is enormous it's not football come on what do you compare that to a football league 1 football game 
Well, I mean, League One is is always on in paid television, so um, they do less than that. Um, Good, they, they, they do less than that. If League One was with L'Equipe, it would do two or two two point five million viewers for sure. Of course, football would do better. Yeah. But um, yeah, biathlon is probably one of the three most viewed sport in France with road cycling and football when you have the Euros or the World Cup. It's one of the most viewed sport because there's a lot of hours. We air 300 hours per year and it's free to air. And now you have a little t- limited time. I mean, Lakey TV, it's one, how many channels is it? Free to air. It's one channel. It's one. Yeah. So if you want, do you think about having a second one? Could you have a second one? Well, we we already have another two channels, only in digital. Hmm. But yes, we've launched another two channels. I was mentioning the fact that if you're a core fan of, of triathlon, for example, you can watch on our OTT platform, on Lekip Live 1 or on Lekip Live 2. So we have two additional channels, only on digital, where you can see all of our rights at length. Hmm. Um, and, and that's something that we had to do because we have so much. Because yeah, we, we, can, like we can imagine you're going to be in a position where your time is limited, yeah. which means you have a more uh, leverage in negotiations, <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, but also the potential to open more free-to-air. Uh, well, um, I mean, we'll see how it goes because the, the market is always changing and it, it's hard to, to predict what's going to happen. But we're in a position at the moment that is very favorable. So I'm taking the benefits of it, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Now, so congrats for the work, because, yeah, I mean, the audience have, have congrats, just congrats for the work. Well done. Um, you've taken also the Ballon d'Or. I mean, the Ballon d'Or is a word reference. Um, strong history, very strong history. It was part of FIFA. I mean, not part of FIFA. It was always yours. Um, France football, but uh, and the keep uh, belonging to the keep, uh, but it has part of FIFA. FIFA was organizing it. You're going to say, say it in a better way, but and you took it back some years ago. Uh, yeah. so can you go a bit through the power of the Ballon d'Or, its history, and where you want it to go? All right. So the Ballon d'Or was founded by France football, which is which is part of L'Equipe, and, and it's a, a football magazine, a weekly magazine that has been published by the same group as L'Equipe since 1955. And they actually created the Ballon d'Or in 1956 uh, for one very simple reason. They had nothing uh, to, 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 to talk about at the end of the year, right? There was no competition. And they said, okay, we need to find something. By the way, just for, for the, uh, the funny part of it, uh, L'Equipe created with the UFA the uh, Champions League, I mean, the, the ancestor of the Champions League in 1955 for the same reason. Uh, there, there was not no sufficient competitions to fill in the paper every weekday. Uh, in particular, with the UEFA? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, 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 the Champions League, the Coupe d'Europe des Clubs Champions, was created by L'Equipe in, in association with uh, the Real Madrid with the Stade de Reims, with a few clubs and the UEFA in 1955. And Just a funny thing. If we are now, it's like L'Equipe pouring the Super League. <laughs> <laughs> well, L'Equipe is, is against the Super League, to be clear. And we, we wrote against it, of course, with it. Uh, but uh, and, and it's pretty normal because we are at the origin of, well, the real competition, yeah. the, uh, the the Champions League. Um, so the Ballon d'Or was created the same time by France Football, the sister magazine of L'Equipe. Um, and um, it's been organized as just a media trophy for many years, since 1956 all the way up to 2009, when uh, there was a partnership with FIFA that lasted for five years, five editions, from 10 to 15, six editions, actually, um, that led to some sort of deadlock where uh, we, we didn't agree on, on what we wanted to do for the future. And, uh, well, they created their, their own trophy, which is called uh, FIFA Best. And we um, stepped aside and decided to go on our own again, um, developing the Ballon d'Or. 
Um, our objective when we actually divorced from FIFA was to uh, make sure that our brand uh, would still be the utmost football trophy. And I would say, if if I'm not modest, and uh, let's not be modest, the highest individual trophy in the sports world, right? Yeah. Uh, the most coveted, uh, the most prestigious. And I think it is the case. Um, it was a lot of work that we had to put on the table, actually, um, because we we want we we needed to transform it from just a media trophy into a brand, right? Um, why did we have to transform into a brand? Because if we wanted to make it grow, it had to have its own business model, mm-hmm. a business model that allowed investment, constant investment, uh, in in building it, in making it. Well, more powerful, uh, more spectacular, uh, with with um, you know um, bigger venues, uh, better production, um, with a red carpet, with spectacle. I mean, with everything that that you, you can expect from a major ceremony, a major event. Uh, we we wanted to compare ourselves, not being very modest, with the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first step um, which we took in in 2019 was to fully revamp. The uh, brand environment. So uh, we hired a, a a design agency and uh, an artistic director, and we worked for well, um, a good part of the year 2019 to work on a full revamp um, of of the um, of the brand, um, and then that led us to um, delivering the, the 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 first ever ceremony under this uh, this this newly uh, uh, revamped um, brand environment that that was. Quite successful, but still, I mean, there there was a lot more that we needed to do, and um, we we got over the last four editions through various um, well improvement that led us to be uh, as close as possible to the clubs. Um, so there was a lot of investment that we had to take to uh, to 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 get our. our our relationship with the major clubs as close as possible. The reason being that the Ballon d'Or is nothing without the players and the Ballon d'Or is nothing without the clubs and the institutions. So if you, if you want to be close to the clubs, you have to understand that they have some expectations that you you, you have to understand and to cope with. The, the, the first one's being that it has to be highly secured. It has to be ha- very well produced. Uh, they have to, to be willing to come. If they want to come, uh, it means that they will get something out of it. Not just to to uh, um, to make uh, their players happy. Um, so uh, that's why we actually created a red carpet to make sure that the clubs to, could do some community management and that their social media would be, uh, um, I mean, highly enhanced with this kind of, of of pictures of their players on red carpet with their wives or with other players, etc. So that that's the kind of things that we had to do. We had to explain it to the clubs. We spent a lot of time traveling to 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 talk with uh, with the president or or the protocol staff or the communication staff with the sporting staff as well because you have to convince them to send the players. Uh, the the coaches that don't want the players to 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 uh, actually travel uh, between two games because it's some sort of of entertainment that is uh, is not very good when you have to focus to the next. Champions League or, or or league match, but all this was done with a view to making sure that um, our, our our connection with, I mean, our major partners, which are not sponsors, which are not broadcasters, which are the players and the clubs, would be as close as possible. It's always very difficult, but I think we've done a job that was sufficiently good to have this year the best ever uh, lineup. Of players we ever had, uh, we had, of course, the winner can Benzema, but we also have Robert Lewandowski. We had Mbappe, we had um, Modric, we had uh, Kevin De Bruyne. We had, I think, eight of the first ten uh, of the ranking, and we had twelve of the first twenty of the women's ranking. Uh, that is for us a huge achievement, and we know that they were happy to be there because yeah. we treat them. As if they were in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and and they think that for one sole evening they are movie stars, mm-hmm. and this is pretty much what we want to do. We we put them in the front line of, of the theater, and everything is focused on them. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything is focused on football. It's not an institutional event. It is a football focused event that is for the football players and for the fans. And and well, this is based on on the you know the the, the 
and the brand values. Uh, why is it focused on the fans and on the players? Because football belongs to the fans and it belongs to the players. And when you are a, a Ballon d'Or laureate, you're also a former fan of the former Ballon d'Or laureates. Benzema, I think one of the things that he actually uh, detected once he got his Ballon d'Or is that now he's part of the same family yes. as Beckenbauer, as Cruyff, as Platini, as Rummenigge, etc., etc., etc. And when when he gets on the stage, he's a star, but he's also a kid. You know, his dream as a kid has come true. Is now part of this Gotha, right? Um, and and this is the kind of emotion that we want to create. And it's really be- between the the players and the fans. And there is something that is very uh, organic. And this is what we really wanted to to uh, to transmit. And I think we've got it to a point that I think we're close to there. And that's why the players, they want to come. And that's why we get huge ratings, uh, in particular on the social media, because it talks to the ones that love football. So, uh, I mean, this is where we are. Um, if you it can, can hear become a, a family in some ways. It can become a family of the winner. Yeah. Kind of, uh, even more exclusive than the Hall of Fame, because there's one per year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you were saying we wanted to build a brand uh, that goes along with the business model. Um, so what is the business impact of a, of a Ballon d'Or? Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, the Ballon d'Or is based on, on two major, well, we could say three, um, revenue streams. I mean, you have sponsors, you have broadcasters, and you can have some hospitality. But mainly, we're talking about sponsorship and, 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 broad, and media rights. Um, so property, per se, selling TV rights, yeah. uh, selling sponsorship, just ticketing, not... But it's a it's a it's a it's a property per se. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and this is what we wanted to do, and uh, and um, and we wanted to uh, yeah to create a brand that was um, sufficiently strong um, to to be able to finance its own development, uh, which is now the case. Of course, our group has invested on it on the, on the first um, three years since I mean from from two thousand and sixteen all the way up to. 2019, of course, we lost some money because we invested on, on the recreation of the brand, uh, mm-hmm. on, on this, uh, on this foundation. And now, I mean, the, the, uh, the Ballon d'Or is profitable. The idea is to make it grow. So to reinvest the profit, uh, into its development, um, making sure that we don't lose track with what is the DNA of the Ballon d'Or, the players and, and the football. So we don't want to make it huge. We don't want to make it in a stadium uh, in, in three or four years because it would raise some huge ticketing uh, income because it wouldn't work. I mean, it has to be focused on the players. It's not a football match. Uh, it is an exceptional night. It's really, I mean, it's difficult to to really find the right balance. I mean, the, the, the 2022 edition, in my view, it was a success uh, because there was a lot of emotion because the lineup was great. Um, because the players they were happy, there was there was uh, you know I mean this this atmosphere that was uh, I mean really uh, special in 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 the venue. Well, um, it could go even better. I want the players to cheer each other. This is the case, what they do. But I want them to feel that for one night, they're all together. They come as a family of lucky boys and girls they are very lucky to be the top stars of their sport mm-hmm. and they have i mean of course they are under huge pressure it's it's a huge pressure to be a, a football star to be a franchise player uh, because i mean you have the expectations of your club of your coach of your fans of your supporters uh, on the shoulders and if you if you miss a goal i mean that's that's a catastrophe in some extent uh but on the other hand, I mean, that, that, it's their passion. I mean, they've been playing football forever. They love it. And, and I mean, no wonder why they're here. I mean, it's because they love it, but it's also because they make, they make a lot of efforts and, uh, and, and they worked much more than anybody else to get to that level. But for God's sake, you got to smile. We want you to smile, to be together, to at some point, uh, take a, a deep breath and say, oh, wow, we're lucky to be there. And if it's at the Ballon d'Or ceremony, so so be it. This is great. This is what we want. N- not easy to, to get a smile from, from Dirk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> uh, uh, global impact, just two or three figures for people to understand the size 
2.9 billion people reached in 2022 on the social media. Hmm. I think it's one figure that talks for itself. (laughs) (laughs) One Uh, one specific memory you you say. Oh, well. That that was very funny. (laughs) A memory that was funny. Yeah. Um, Special moment for you in this. I mean, because organizing uh, the Ballon d'Or is not you know, it's a routine of everyone. <laughs> and uh, I, I know there's a lot you can say, but um, one specific memory, because you're passionate yourself, you lost yeah. just like the athlete, you want to be ex- excellent in what you do and you are, and you're a kid when you do it in some ways. <laughs> no, I have, I have one thing I can't, because there's a lot, as you, as you say, I mean, there's a lot I can't, I can't tell, but I have one memory that was, I think it's, it's interesting to share it. Once we were, um, in a meeting uh, with uh, the president of Juventus. Um, it was a, a few years ago. I think it was in 2021 or maybe a, a bit before. It, Ronaldo was there, right? And we visited them to um, sort of prepare the uh, the upcoming Ballon d'Or edition. And uh, we wanted to make sure that they, they would come with Ronaldo, whatever his ranking would be, and that they would also come with... Um, uh, potentially a former Ballon d'Or winner, such as Platini or or, or um, Rossi, who passed away recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so we visited the Juventus, and, and I mean it's it's one of the Euro- the, the major clubs in in Europe. So I mean we we wanted to to, to be with them, and um, it happens that the the vice president in charge of sport at Juventus is called Pavel Nedved. Uh, Nedved uh, was a Czech football player, um, highly talented. We actually um, was crowned with the Ballon d'Or in 2003 for Juventus. We were in that big uh, meeting room. Um, we were three of uh, of L'Equipe France Football. And we were hosted by probably 12 people from Juventus with the president sitting in, in the center of the table. And, um, I mean, we had small talks to start with. And then at some point it says, well, you know, guys, um, I mean, your Ballon d'Or, it's very nice and all. But, I mean, there are also a, a lot of other prizes. And, you know, I mean, it could be the FIFA prize or the UEFA prize or whatever. I mean, what's the difference between all of them? And in other words, he was taking us with uh, some sort of despise and said, okay, well, let's make it quick. And, and at some point, Pavel Nedved says, President, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Um, in my life, there's two days I remember when my first son was born and when this guy from France Football called me up and told me I won the Ballon d'Or. Well, so, no, it's it's not what you say. Like everyone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, we were, we were, like, so thrilled that he said that. Because he, he was and is still very, very close to Agnelli, uh, Nedved. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think uh, Agnelli is the godfather of, of Nedved's son, or it's the other way around. I mean, they've been working together for 20 years. They're very close to each other. Um, but this time, he, he told him to, to sort of shut up. Uh, and, 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 and don't talk this way about the prize that I got. For us, that was the, the, the evidence that, I mean, our job, is I mean we are there for the moment, and some others will do it in the future, and the others did it very well in the past, you know. And that is serious. Uh, it made us happy. <laughs> that was that was that was a good moment. <laughs> then you invited Nedved to take some beers. <laughs> well, and and he came to the to the ceremony, and uh, and we told him thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's what it means uh, for Nedved and for many for many people and for so many fans. And for so many friends. Yeah. Yeah. Coming back to you, uh, acquisition, growth of Lekki TV, uh, Ballon d'Or growing, getting where you want it to be, little by little, but now profitable. Mm-hmm. What keeps you motivated? What makes you wake up every day? Well, I mean, I love my job. Uh, I have this, this like, I mean, I, I mentioned the football players that, that should be uh, uh, sometimes thinking that they're lucky. Well, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to do what I do. I'm lucky to to be able to talk about uh, 
uh, you know, I mean, uh, the, the, the Euros, the uh, World Cup, uh, the, uh, the, the Ski World Championships. I mean, this is, this is my job. And who can complain about this? It's uh, it, it would be. I mean, I'm 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 still, um, you know, I mean, somehow, and it's certainly the same for you. I mean, uh, some kind of teenager when when I talk about my job because it's a, it's a dream, uh, to to be working in that field. Uh, I yeah, I love it. My my colleagues are pretty much the same as me, so we share that 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 you know that that passion, that enthusiasm, and I. Honestly, I I don't think I would be able to work in a different sector. So it could be that I, I can get motivated to do something else. Uh, but it will be in the sport industry for sure. It has to, you know. Otherwise, I would be so annoyed <laughs> to do something in a different field. Otherwise, you'll be you'll be reading L'Equipe all all day all day long. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so that would be a bit strange, wouldn't it? <laughs> To close our conversation, we've got a ritual uh, since Masters podcast with a series of questions for quick answers. Um, ready? Yeah. Your favorite all-time athlete and why? I love sports so much that it's tough to answer, I would say. But if I have to choose, I would say Michel Platini. Michel Platini? Yeah, because he made me dream when I was a kid. It was me, absolutely. I mean, it was the, the first one that I dreamed of. And it's funny because in our conversation today, you mentioned him three times. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of options when you speak about Ballon d'Or and football. And um, yeah. <laughs> Who's your favorite coach? Uh, I would say that I really, I really like Jurgen Klopp. Jürgen Klopp, Liverpool. I, I like his personality, the way he talks to the press, the way he talks about his team. Um, it's, it's really classy. It's really classy. I and I love, I love Liverpool as well. Your favorite sport event? The Olympics, the Summer Olympics, by far. What's magic? Everything, everything. <laughs> the, um, the anthems, the Olympic anthem, the, uh, the opening ceremony, everything is magic. I love it. Your favorite sound in a stadium? I don't know if I have a favorite sound, but this is when a goal is scored and, and the crowd is cheering very, very loud. But there's one kind of stadiums where I don't like it. It's uh, in Twickenham when the, the England uh, team uh, scores a try. This is awful to hear when you're the opponent. Yeah. <laughs> And you don't want to hear it. <laughs> last last weekend was quite the opposite. Uh, very yeah, good. absolutely. <laughs> because I remember going so many times to the game in Paris at the Parc des Princes for France, England, and France losing uh, so many times in that period. And was very happy last weekend. <laughs> oh, yes, it was great. The best moment if any, because there are many, but uh, it's the best moment in sports history. For me, my my best emotion, it's a bit a strange one, is, is when um, France won the 4 by one relay in, in swimming in London. Don't ask me why. Uh, so in the Olympics in, in 2012, relay. yeah. Uh, they won the the the, the four four by one uh, swimming relay men. I think it's because four year before I don't know if you remember, but France lost it in the last leg. In to the I was there. I was there. <laughs> yeah, so you were there. <laughs> that was. I mean, I woke up at oh! four four in the morning, and and they were ahead all the races, and then and the American they 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 overtook. Uh, Alain Bernard by one inch in 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 the last uh, in the last line. That was awful. So yeah, I was with friends and it was great. Apart from that, I had the chance to be uh, in the in the in the stadium for the World Cup final in Paris in 1998. That was something. And the chance to right after. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of sport, well, not linked to sport directly, what is your favorite word? 
my favorite word, enthusiasm. <laughs> One great advice you've received or learned and you would like to share. Um, have fun. Uh, work hard, but have fun. Uh, they have to go together. Uh, if you work hard, but you don't have fun, I mean, that doesn't work. And if you have fun, but you don't work, it doesn't work either. So you do, you have to do both. <laughs> so true. <laughs> <laughs> if you had one more hour every day, mm. what would you like to do with it? <laughs> very busy between work and family. Uh, I think I would sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you would sleep more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't sleep enough. <laughs> If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, well, it would be great. You'll uh, get to spend great time with all your friends forever. Oh, by the way, hi to Philibert. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nicola, thank you so much for your time. Uh, that could be way longer. There's a lot more topics I would love to address with you. We'll do it with a beer next time. Yeah. Uh, but thanks so much for your time and being so authentic in, the, in sharing your experience. And all the best in your endeavors. Uh, hi to the family. Thank so you very much, Arno. It was cool. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast. We'd love you to subscribe. Please leave a review or rate the podcast. It will help us improve. We'd love to see you in the next episode. Enjoy. Enjoy.